This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome back to the Asian Torah Essentials Program. A drop-in program for all people ages 18 to 80. From body piercings to black hats. Everybody is welcome here. So I, I was uh, experiencing life from 11 years old was when I basically left the, the regular system. Um, I was disenchanted, to say the least, with uh, what was being offered. And uh, I had uh, the, I had the schut, uh, the merit, or the, I guess the providence of being what's called a trust baby. You know what a trust baby is? Trust baby is family trust, you know, like wealthy families, so... But I was not the average kind of trust baby. I was what you call a trustafarian. A trustafarian is a someone who's a trust baby, but he's going to go search the world and ex- try to experience everything to try to get to the bottom of it all, like figure out what we're doing here. And that's called a trustafarian. Trustafarians are are kind of extreme searchers because you see every other searcher in the back of their mind realizes they're going to have to face reality eventually, and that little that you've got to face reality and actually make a living. And, like, you're going to have to, like, join the machine eventually, you know. So then you kind of, you're one foot in the search and you're one foot out because you're in the end. you got to make a living. And so, and your parents aren't going to pay for you to search forever. And so I, on the other hand, was a trustafarian, which means my parents are going to pay for me to search forever. And... Uh, this, Israel was kind of the last place I was going to come because I thought Israel, I thought Judaism was a religion. So religion just was like not on my, uh, like a, wasn't on my list of things that I'd be interested in ever, and it's gotten even more so actually. Uh, I would say I get more anti-religious by the by the hour. Um, I believe religion has been the source of more bloodshed and more evil that has hit our planet. That. Uh, that secular movements, even atheist movements, even though they've got their own blood on their hands, uh, could never touch the, uh, the uh, pain and suffering that humanity's been called by, caused by religions. And I thought Judaism was a religion. I mean, it certainly looks like it's got that big star. Yeah, there were crosses, there were stars, there were, you know, uh, crescent moons, and Judaism was definitely, I booked it with the other criminals. But in all my experience of life, I did discover tribal cultures, and tribal cultures, they were the real deal. Tribal cultures had leaders who were, who were what are called medicine chiefs, usually because of their incredible knowledge, like a vast knowledge of the natural world and their ability to use the natural world, and those are the leaders. It's really interesting that the leaders are the ones who have the greatest access to the creation via nature. And, uh, and some of those vegetations that they're using actually give human beings access to realms far beyond the realm you see. Just by literally drinking some brew or something, you are transported for the next 12 hours into you know, some other place that the, the medicine chief who's administered it seems to have total navigational access while the Newbie doesn't know what's it. And these, uh, these medicine chiefs have been the leaders of all the tribes for all of history. Um, if you're wondering what the background noise is, we've, we've got a baby with us today. So, uh, Rosh Hashem. 
<laughs> you can hold it. You, you can hold her to say a boy or girl it looks like a girl. <laughs> I don't know if that makes her quieter. Right. He'll try it. She also she may be warm. Now, the um, anyway, these medicine she's for the leaders, and it, it is interesting. I just want to make a note that's kind of crazy. But we have been brainwashed over the last 70 years. This is the 70th year of Israel. We've been brainwashed over the last 70th year that Jewish leaders have nothing to do with spirituality. They're like every other political leader. But it's only been 70 years. Who was the leader of the Jewish people 100 years ago? I promise you, he had a beard. <laughs> For sure. He had a beard. And it wasn't just any beard. It was a beard that was, that was grown over years and thousands upon tens of thousands of hours. Of wisdom gathering and wisdom gathering and wisdom gathering. And that's who we look to. They, for thousands of years, the nations of the world, if they wanted to do anything with the Jews, they had to speak to the leaders. Who were the leaders? The leaders were the scholars, the tzaddikim, the holy men. Those were always the Jewish leaders. And it's just over the last 70 years that we've suddenly, like, think that our leaders are, you know, clean-shaven polit- politicians who, you know... You know, I, I, I have to be a big BB fan, so I am, and he, you should know he does have a Torah study class at his house, where a rabbi comes and like they open up a pilgrimage and they study together. It's quite nice. The uh, I've never been to it, but I, but it, it's beautiful that he studies. It's good. And his father was a scholar, and um, anyway, but that, those were the leaders. Now, I never thought for a second that we were a tribe. I knew there was something called the 12 tribes, but I was sure that that was mythical, mythological, and, and that Judaism was a religion. You know, there's Christianity, there's Islam, there's Mormons, there's, there's Judaism. And, you know, they even call it like Western religion or the Judeo-Christian values and stuff like that. So I just figured Judaism was a religion. Well, how would I know otherwise? Growing up in West L.A., it wasn't like I ever got to meet a Torah scholar. I remember at one point I, I heard a, a Kansas album. You know the band Kansas? It's kind of a Christian rock band. You, you probably know two songs, although those are the only two songs Kansas fans don't listen to is Carry On, uh, Carry On My Wayward Son, or Dust in the Wind. Yeah. All we are is dust in the wind. So Kansas fans don't listen to either of those songs. Yeah. They have like 12 of the greatest classic rock albums you've ever heard. Anyway, but all the lyrics were extremely compelling about the meaning of life. And I remember I brought them to, um, I brought them to our rabbi. We, I, we had a synagogue in L.A. Was, uh, maybe I should leave his name <laughs> after you hear the story. So I brought it to the rabbi, who was really the spokesman of L.A. at the time, for as far as rabbis were concerned. And um, so I brought him the lyrics. I, I had the, my album. I was back with albums. Albums are these black round things that you put a needle on played music. You had to flip it halfway through. So, the um, anyway, I brought him the album Sleeve. Remember the sleeve would often have the lyrics? So I brought him the sleeve and uh, and read him these, like, very compelling lyrics. And I asked him, can you please, like, I'm coming to the rabbi, like, please help me, guide me, you know, because these really mean a lot to me. And he was like, I don't know what whether he didn't know what it had to do with his salary or something, but he was like, I don't know what any of this means. Why are you bothering me? And so I just took 
that was like a book called Judaism when the rabbi said that to me. Like the one thing that ever caught my attention was the meaning of these lyrics. And the rabbi had nothing to say. So that there was a big Jewish star on the book and I just went like, okay, Judaism's not relevant. Let's move on. And then I walked up to every single thing I saw for the next 12 years and asked him, are you my mother? And I just went around asking, are you my mother? Are you my mother? And someone, what's the source? What's the source of it all? Where's, where's all this come from? And that was about, that was about all I could do was, was search. And, uh, but I, I happen to do a lot of surfing though as a, just to distract myself from the fruitless search because it was so fruitless. It was ridiculous. You know, being raised in West LA, I guess, is the number one spot for searching for truth. And, um, Anyway, Judaism, when I discovered Judaism, what I found out was we're really a tribe. And who are the leaders? The leaders are the, are the medicine chief. Now, they may not know much about, about you know, medicinal plants, but they certainly have access. They have deep access. Bye, guys. Thanks for coming by. That's amazing you came in. Did you see the roof yet? Yeah, amazing. Yeah, Shalom, guys. You can close it. Sorry I didn't email you back, by the way. I, two hours later, I realized I hadn't emailed you back, but I didn't have my phone at the time. Okay. So, anyway, I discovered that we're actually this tribe. And we're an ancient tribe, and we're not just any kind of tribe. Let me explain medicine chiefs to you, like leaders of tribes. Leaders of tribes have traditions of how to enter into the metaphysical. So, it looks like this. You have... Our world is the physical world. And this, our physical world has what's called space and time. It's the space-time continuum in the physical world. On the other side of our world is a another realm up there, which is called the metaphysical metaphysical and this is a whole realm it's a whole realm the metaphysical that is from the edge of space and time so here so this is the metaphysical it's a non space time situation okay this is non space time it is what they would call the divine. You guys heard the term divine? So this is what, if you really want to be literalist about it, it's called the divine. So this is the outer crust of the divine. Where we are right now is like the outer crust of the divine. It's where you don't sense the divinity. Like, I don't sense the divinity in these pens. I don't sense the divinity of this water. It's water, you know, you, you see it drink it, it quenches your thirst, it splashes on you, feel water, you feel wet. I don't feel divinity in the, in the water itself, it's just water. But where does water come from? Where, what's the source of this water? Where's this water coming from? It's got to be coming from somewhere. If it's here, it came from somewhere. Now, if you want to say the faucet or this bottle, well, where did it come from before that? You know, where's, what's, what's the actual source? Leave it, leave it. It's good. It's good thing. What's the actual source of the water? 
Where's this stuff coming from? This is a very deep question I'm asking you, by the way. I'm not asking you to trace the bottle back to the store, to some spring somewhere, to the ocean, to the rain, to the aquifers. I'm not asking you to do that. What's making this water? Where's this water coming from? It's here. Maybe you want to say it's coming from the past, because it was here a second ago when, when I was showing you the cup. But is there anything in this moment inside this water that can create the water a minute from now? Does this water have creative ability that it can recreate itself second by second by second? Where, where's this water coming from? So the answer is, <laughs> it's a strange question. It's a strange question. Yeah. To me, it's not obvious that it has to come from somewhere. It could just be. It would, it would, that's right, it is just be. Yes. It really is just be. And that's, but I'm asking this question of like source. Source of its being. Meaning, who's saying the word water all the time? And it's a loaded question. It's not, a, it's not, meaning you're right, it really is just water in my cup. It's just being water. Yeah. Hey, what's up, this so happy to see him. No one's been manning the camera, so I mentioned that people man the camera. So I'm talking about source. I'm talking about, I'm talking about something making this water, but not in the past. I'm talking about the water actually coming into existence now, perpetually. That may be a non-Western question. <laughs> meaning where the water's coming from. The Western way of looking at it is meaning where was it before the cup. But I'm saying, like, what's actually causing water in my cup? Now, the answer, based in spiritualities, tribal spiritualities, is the divine. There's a realm here in the metaphysical called water. And as long as the metaphysical water is being watered, is doing its water thing, water's going to be in that cup. If it dries up here, so to speak, meaning if in the non-space-time realm called water is no longer saying water, like it's just kind of shooting out vibrationally, the the metaphysical makeup of this stuff, there's going to be no water. The water will dry up, will disappear, actually. It won't dry up, it will disappear from the cup. Now, I'm not asking any of you to believe what I'm saying right now. I'm just telling you that this is the tradition of the tribal, ancient tribal cultures, whether it be the Jewish ancient tribal culture or every other tribal culture. How did those medicine chiefs get their understanding of all of this? How did they all figure this out? So the answer is, is they went from here, the outer crust, and they have traditions of how to come in to, maybe, maybe she wants to color. Uh, what's her name? What's her name? No, maybe she, no, because she can color. No, she won't color. want to color? She's not ready to color. When my, when my kids came in, I guess they must have been a little older, but they were, uh, Thank you very much. Enjoy. Pleasure to see you. Likewise.
You know you're getting old when you can't tell how old kids are. <laughs> I'm thinking that, like, this kid's not ready to color. <laughs> like, get, get a pen. My kids have sat, sat many through many classes or stood right here coloring on the board while they teach. Um, the tradition is is that the, the physical world around you is coming into existence. It's the world that's coming into existence. It's, it's funny in Hebrew, it's called Olam Haba. What's the word Olam Haba mean? World to come. Right, that's the way people, that's what people say it means. What else can be more literally? Olam haba. It could also mean that, that world that came, right, also. and But it also goes present tense. Ba also works present, which is the coming world. The world that's coming. And it's quite literal to call it the world that's coming. Like this world, this world's coming into existence. It's olam haba. It's the world that's coming. That's why it's called the world to come, because it's that's also going to be coming, meaning there's a realm of perfection at the end of 6,000 years that's coming, called the Olam Haba, the world that's coming. Because it is coming, it's in the future. We're not at 6,000, we're at 57, 78, so 222 years. Is that right? 222? Yeah. That's easy to remember. We're 222 years away from 6,000. So there's, it's also the world that is coming. But Olam Haba also means the world that is coming. Because this world is always coming. And so this outer crust is coming from this whole metaphysical realm, which is causing it into existence. Now, the medicine chiefs know all the details. They know how to navigate over there. The reason they know all that navigation is because they have access through traditions and through music and through dance and through, uh, you know, cosmic vegetation that they imbibe, uh, which has now become popular in the world. But for thousands and thousands of years, they, no one ever knew about these vegetations. And, but what happened was they were able to map the metaphysical world. And interestingly, I was able to interview a particular chant leader who leads the chants of these people. And guess what? All the words that they use in the chants of this particular tribe was either, the syllables were either a yud, and also vowels, it was either a yud, or a he, or a vav, or an olive. That's all they had. Yuds, he's, vavs, and olives. Meaning all you were hearing was just names of God the whole time. And I asked the chant leader, what are they? He said, these are the names of God. That's, that's what we got. Names of God. <laughs> he caught me off guard. Okay. It was a tribe in, somewhere in South America, Amazonian tribe. Um, I could have asked him. It wasn't that formal. This was like a chance meeting that I got to meet him in Brooklyn. And uh, So do we have a Jewish tradition to revise to that world also? To that world? That well, that's where I'm going with this. Okay. That's, that's where we're moving to. So they have that access, as I said again, through their traditions, including their, their understanding of the vegetation world, they have access to that world. Now, the Jews. The Jews have a, we have a tradition of the metaphysicals 
through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, there's actually a book that's ascri- that's ascribed to Abraham that he wrote this book. It's called the Sefer Yetzirah. It's called which literally means in English the Book of Formation, where Abraham wrote a book and passed it down. You guys heard of the Kate? You heard of the Book of Formation? What? It's also ascribed to yeah. It's ascribed to Adam Arishon, but uh, but probably more popularly ascribed to to Abraham. Yeah, I, I was taught it was ascribed to Abraham. Adam knew all of Sefer uh, the Book of Formation, but it's saying that Abraham wrote it down. He like actually wrote it in a document and passed it, passed it down, the Book of Formation. So the um, the Book of Formation is is all about the maps of this, and we have that in our church. But what happened at Sinai? And it also happened to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and various other people along the way. But what happened at Sinai was prophecy. And prophecy means that, remember before I was asking, what's making the water? And what was the answer supposed to be? The metaphysical realm. Well, what's the obvious question about this realm? Yeah, what's making the metaphysical realm? And that's the term we use called, maybe you've heard it before, God. And and this is the reference we use for God calling him king. King is a very special reference, meaning meaning it means that everything underneath this he is the source of everything, that's God. King is he's got dominion over the whole entire thing. He's the king of the universe. And we say that every time we make a blessing, we say Melech HaOlam, which Olam, the outer crust of Olam. And the inner crust, Olam, all the inner stuff, the metaphysical. Because everything's coming from something. So even the whole metaphysical thing is coming from something. Now, not every tribal leader will tell you that, meaning not everyone will tell you it's God, but most will tell you that the source of the metaphysical is God. Most will. Some don't, and the reason some don't is because when you start to understand the really high level stuff up here, it starts to get pyramid-like. And uh, and that pyramid-like, after a while, it, like you start to see like there's only a couple things running the show. And then it's like, oh, only one thing's running the show. That one thing running the show, we don't say his name. Um, that, and, it, and it's not really that it's running the show. It's the one thing, there's probably an army send-up going on down so there. I'll just double-check like a Nazi party just should have. It's a, yeah, it's a troop of So, the, the, the triangle, the tip of the, the, there's an actual kingpin, what's called a malach, a kingpin malach, and his name, he's got a cool name, because uh, all, once you start getting the top of the pyramid, they're all suffixed with the word tron. They're all called trons. And the top tron of the whole system is called, I'm not going to say it, but it's M-E-T-A, Meta. And then... We're not allowed to say that. People who are involved in studying Kabbalah don't say it so much. You want to hear something funny? I was at a kibbutz and the milk machine, the computerized milk machine for the cows, like this giant automated cow milker was was called. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, looked like the most expensive machine I've ever seen in my life. And it just had a big word on it. M-E-T-A and then Tron. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, um, 
But I, I can almost guarantee all of you that if you met that Tron, I mean, if you got to somehow see that Tron and what it's up to and it's the tip of the triangle, you would likely bow down and then be struck down <laughs> for idolatry. You understand? Hi. We're, you're not allowed to bet, bow to meta, you know, not allowed. But you, I don't think you could stop yourself. I don't think you could probably stop, you probably couldn't stop yourself from falling on your face. And you, we'd be falling on our face way before we got to meta. But, but there would, you wouldn't be able to prevent yourself from paying homage to the top of the system. But meanwhile, it's not the top of the system. Who's the top of the system? It's the top of the system. This, by the way, for those who know a little Torah, this, by the way, is what happened when the four rabbis went into the orchard. And you know that's what happened? That, uh, that the, the one who, which, who we call Acher, um, the reason he came out of the orchard, the orchard means Kabbalah, the reason he came out of the orchard, a Apichorus, Apichorus, you know the term Apichorus, a heretic was because he saw he saw Meta, and when he saw Meta, he was like, "Oh!" And I thought there was a God. I, I thought, you know, here I'd been spending all my life praying to this this being. When I, now I've seen the top of the triangle, yeah, I've seen the top of the pyramid, I've seen the light. And uh, but in fact, the light of 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 that particular tron is only given to that tron from the creator. The whole creation is coming. Is everything's coming from the metaphysical, from the metaphysical world. Now, having a relationship with the king of the most complex system that that if all if any of us I don't know who is the youngest person in the room, but uh, anyone here under twenty, you two are under twenty, so. If the two of you spent the rest of your lives, like if you guys just locked yourselves in a room and spot, and like did nothing but study the rest of your lives, and like we all came back to visit you like 70 years from now, so you're in your 90s, and we're like, we're, we'll have to follow Ezra's beard. So we'd like see his beard on the street and spot, and we'll just like, <laughs> I'm sure this is Ezra's beard, you know. And then, and there you are, like your Heverses, you know, with Ezra. Yeah, she's from Lakewood, and we finally get up to his chin, and the two of your your eyes are going like spinning all around. And we're like, whoa! And we'd ask you, you know, so what did you learn about the metaphysical world up in Sot? You know, what do you know? And then you'd both be like, you'd just be like, we know nothing. <laughs> but you would you'd realize that you know nothing why am I sharing that story I'm sharing that story because Ellie back there yeah who doesn't know his knee from his elbow no offense in the metaphysics has a relationship with God, the king of the universe. Without it, he's like, oh, if you don't mind, I'm just going to skip all that stuff. 
You know, it'd be like uh, in that. I found a door in IKEA, by the way, that gets you right back to the exit. <laughs> That's an important door to know about, by the way. I found that door. It's the employees are the ones who are allowed to use it. I use it. You know, I, there's always the old trick of like, just look like you know what you're doing. Uh, but I found the way out of IKEA through one door. You know, that you, it's kind of very central to the whole thing, and you just got to get through that door and you're out. So, you came back from the apartments. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ellie's, go, Ellie's just like, you know, what's your name? What's your full name? Hanalea. Hanalea, what? Right. Right. So, he'd be just like, okay, Ezra Epstein, okay, Hanalea, right? You know, <laughs> that's cool for you. This is, this is Ellie speaking in the back. He's just like, I'm glad you like, he's like, he's just like, Shema Yisrael, you know, and he's just saying Shema, you know, of course, when he's saying Shema, you two like interrupt him, you're like, wait, let me explain the Yud, before you get to the Yud, you gotta, I mean, how can you say Shema without really understanding the Yud of God's name, you know, so he's like, Leave me alone. Shema Yisrael Adon. Stop, stop. you got to know the Yud. He's like, Adon. And they're like, you know, we're going to teach you the Yud, the He, and the Vom. Ellie's like, leave me alone. I, don't, I have a relationship with God. I don't need all that. What do I need all that for? Realize the chutzpah of the Jewish people walking around like they have some kind of like, like they're the son of the CEO of the company. I mean, you can't get more nepotistic than Jews walking around like they like they own this place. And that we're we're just in a you know, uh, do we have any Sem girls here? I think we. Yesterday we had a, a bunch of. Oh, you're in Sem. Which Sem are you? In? But we're already using you as an example. Sorry. <laughs> I already had you as an example. Oh, don't. Yeah. yeah anyway, but I, but yeah. These Sam girls, you know, eighteen-year-old Sam girls, you know, they have a relationship with the creator of the universe without any metaphysic, any metaphysical knowledge. Now it is, of course, a different world to say Shema with some metaphysical knowledge. It is a different world, qualitatively. Qualitatively, it's different. But that you are in a relationship with the creator of the universe, you are in that relationship. It's true, you are. And no one can take that away from you. You are a child of the prophets. You're from the tribe that had prophecy. And you are deeply connected before you even press go. Before you even start the game, you're deeply connected to the source. Before you've opened your first Mishnah, before you've learned your first Halacha, before you've on anything, before you've got a pair of sitzes, before you do anything, before you've kept your first Shabbat, you are deeply connected to the king of the universe. But you want to know something? That's not unique to being Jewish. <laughs> so not only are you deeply connected, everyone's deeply connected. And by the way, you think I'm only talking about people? Every ant, every ant eater. What eats anteaters? Every lion. What eats lions? Nobody. <laughs> They're all deeply connected. 
you could even say the animals and the plants are even more connected because they don't have their intellects in the way. They are they're actually expressing their functions like very instinctually and uniquely to, as per God's instructions to them as as animals or plants. That's why we've all I think we all appreciate a human being who's got his his instinction about life. Because there's there's an ease about them. Their, their digestions run properly, and their use of body and dance and movement is, is like it's together. Their mind isn't. I'll never forget a night I was in. A, I'd been touring uh, Europe at the time. I was backpacking through Europe, and I got befriended by a group of African and an African dance troupe, but like real, like hardcore tribal dance and. They had befriended me. We all were staying in the same place. It was an amazing time. And uh, I remember one day, it was the night of their show, and so I went to the show, and I'm watching them dance. And I just felt this, like, Ashkenazic dysfunction. I just felt this. Watching them move on that stage was, was such an experience of instinct that these bodies were we're doing what they were built to do. And I have every bit of anatomy they do, my body. I, there's nothing they got I don't got. But my Ashkenazi head has short-circuited my instincts, short-circuited my instincts. At a certain point during the intermission, I took a break and went outside. It was a misty night in Zurich. And, um, no, in Basel. We are in Basel in Switzerland. And I was out walking around some forested area, and there was kind of lights glowing through the mist from the location we were from the venue. And uh, I looked at my hands, and they were there was a tremor in my hands. They shake. It was a tremor, but a noticeable tremor. So I noticed my hands shake. A tremor. And I realized, like, not only am I short-circuited, but my body is allergic to life. Like my, I have short-circuited my instincts to the point where my body is not embracing life, but it's actually, it seems to be at odds. And then I started thinking, wait a second, my father shakes. He has a tremor. And then I was thinking, I think my brothers have a tremor. And then I was thinking, whatever. So I, all of a sudden, I cried at the disconnect. I started crying. And then I took this really deep breath, like I'd never taken before. Just this, like. And I looked at my hands, and I stopped shaking. And I realized, it's not like I have a real issue here. I just don't breathe. Meaning, this, this intellect of mine has stopped my connection to my body to the point where I don't breathe. And that was the last time I ever had a tremor. My tremor went away as I became someone who started to embrace the fact that I have a body and that I have instincts. I'm an organism created by God with a soul, with an intellect that had short-circuited me. And that was the beginning of a stage in my life that has led to some of my greatest things in life. 
is once I got integrated with the body. I think I met you soon after that, actually. As, and we were dancers. Like, it was funny that I was became a dancer, you know, with you. And, and I, I went to Africa and uh, danced there. Really? Yeah. Ah. So you know and exactly that, what I'm talking and about. that's the closest I've come, I think, to the metaphysical Really? Through dance? Through dance. Mm. You see, they know what they're doing when they're dancing over there. Yes. <laughs> People think a rain dance is, you know, something. Westerners think a rain dance is a joke. You know, it's no joke. They know what they're doing. So, so as an example, like in order to become a drummer, you have to sit with a, a group of drummers for one year before you're even allowed to touch a drum. No. Before you touch a drum. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You got to earn that. Amazing. Yeah, it's not just going to the beach to join a drum, drum circle on a Sunday. There's ranks you gotta it's, go it's, up. It's real, it's. Um, there, there's knowledge there, it's not just. Not just a bunch, bunch of Africans hitting drums. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Powerful. And we all have this. Right outside this window, like, you know, Exhibit A. <laughs> you know, there, there were thousands of musicians playing, whether they were playing drums or they were playing harps or they were playing, you know, all these different biblical instruments. And the, uh, with a choir that was massive, a massive choir, from the highest voices that Israel could produce, that Levites could produce, you ever heard of a, what's it called, an altar tenor? A ten, what's it called, a tenor? Something tenor. Counter tenor? What? Counter tenor? Counter tenor. They had counter tenors, but you, but like a hundred of them. When you have a counter, I've sung with counter tenors when I'm in the choir, and you can hear him above the whole choir because he's hitting frequencies that just are going above an orchestra. And But you you got a hundred counter tenors, and then a hundred tenors. And then a hundred, um, a hundred uh, baritones. And I'm saying hundred. It was thousands. There were thousands of people in the choir, so it, was, it wasn't a hundreds issue. It says it was so loud that you could hear it all the way down Wadi Kelp from here. There's a Wadi right here, where David's city is, city of David is, and it goes down and becomes this giant, like, slot canyon called Wadi Kelt. And at the bottom of Wadi Kelt is Jericho. Beautiful city, little oasis down there called Jericho. And you can hear the music in Jericho. It was that loud. You could hear the music in Jericho. And when you came into the city, you immediately smelled the incense that was burning. And the and the whole place was like wafting with this highly intoxicating smell. And the music was intoxicating and the experience of Jerusalem. That's why no one lived here. You couldn't. Like even the Levites and the Kohanim had turns. It was too heavy here. This wasn't a place you lived. I don't think people slept much here either. People lived in their farms where, and they came during the festivals to be part of it. But on a daily basis throughout the year, there there wasn't a big population here. It was it was too intense. You know, it wasn't something you could live in. You know, this this made. You know, this made a, a ayahuasca ceremony look like a, 
you know, like a bowling alley. You know, it, is, it, was, uh, it was super, super intense with thousands of people. There were the people causing the experience, and believe me, they were on the names of God. You know that they, everyone in the temple, had the names that were forbidden for anyone to pronounce or even know. Many of those names you weren't allowed to know. Now, the Kohanim had certain names. The Levites had other names of God. Meaning, the, the Kohanim had names that nobody knew. And of, of God that were highly effective, uh, meaning highly manipulative. You could affect the world deeply with those names. The Levites knew certain names. The tribes of Israel, the other you know ten tribes or eleven tribes, don't didn't know those names. We knew the names we knew, and, they, and you were not allowed to tell a Israel the names. I mean, all those tribes didn't get to know the names. If you weren't a Cohen. Or a lady, they were just, you did not have access to these certain names that caused certain things in creation. In other words, it was really heavy duty what was going on here in Jerusalem. And, uh, but again, it had its bad times. It had good times and bad times. It had, uh, you know, it had, it had times where it got corrupted. And we're talking about close to a thousand years. Between the first time and the second temple, it's close to a thousand years. A lot happens in a thousand years, especially when Jews are involved. So, you know, <laughs> they, they, they definitely, there were corrupted times as well. There were good times, there were bad times. And we lost it both times, both first and second temple, we lost it because of corruption. Which is, you know, you know that's, that's the ultimate sadness, is that, that there was something here on a tribal instinctual level. There's nothing intellectual going on about it. I mean, you had the high court sat up there. The court of 71 sat on the Temple Mount, right where the Alaska Mosque is, is where the high court sat. I could, I could show our friends on Facebook why not. Just, since we're here, it's a shame not to show them. But uh, anyway, right where that building stands, that's the Ayahuasca. I, I, what is it called? Al-Aqsa Mosque. al So that was a giant round building where the uh, Court of 71 Judges sat. And over there was the temple where all that stuff was going on that I just described. It's forbidden to plant a tree if you're noticing a forest on the Temple Mount. So you're not actually allowed to plant a tree on the Temple Mount. It's one of the Torah commandments. It's a big deal. There are Temple Mounts up. There's trees on the Temple Mount. Not cool. And I, I'm the biggest tree. I'm a mountain biker. Like I, I'm the biggest tree hugger in this room for sure. You know, I don't have to talk about my private relationship with trees. But uh, I always want to like do a flyby with some napalm or something onto those trees. You know, just like clean it, clean things up up there because you're you're not allowed to have. Uh, give me a plug, please. You're not allowed to have uh, trees up there. And uh, I think it had something to do with worship, uh, because uh, as you know, the natural world is, it's easy to worship it. Uh, not for Jews necessarily, but the rest of the world has a long history of worshiping the elements. And uh, worshiping the elements is major, gigantic no-no. In, uh, in, I'm not going to say in Judaism. It's a no-no for creation. Like, like the Tron, you know, the... It's amazing people will, will like pay homage to 
vegetation. You know, it's like I can understand the Tron confused people, but like a piece of vegetation is is not a it's not something that anyone should be worshiping because all it takes is the tiniest little intellectual move to say, well, this obviously is not the source. So what is the source? Now, it has a source in the metaphysical, but what source that? It's the king of the universe. And so that's why deification, idolatry, with all the metaphysics is forbidden. It's because there's a king that's powering it. And you don't even have to know, like, you don't have to be a big maven on who the king is. You don't really have to. It's enough to know that whatever it is that you see people worshiping was created. So if it was created, so I'm going to go to the source. I'm going to go to what's causing creation rather than going to the creator. Even if it's so high and lofty as metaphysical, that doesn't impress you. Something being metaphysical is not impressive to us. Like, that's nice. We've got a long history of interacting with the Gentile world who thinks metaphysical stuff is something you're supposed to honor. Now, the metaphysical world is a serious Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, like Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, freaked out plays. It requires tremendous amounts of, of I don't know how to say this in English, uh, COVID Roche, um, intensity and, and like respect. You need to go in there respectfully if you want to come out. If you want to come out unscathed, you better go in there with tremendous amount of respect. But homage, to pay it homage, and there's a, you have to understand there's this big, very big distinction between respect and and so we're looking at um, ver, not verification. Uh, the the word is um, veneration. There's tremendous respect, but I don't venerate it. God I venerate. The word veneration was a praise, pay homage to. That's to the source. So if you ever do go for some Kabbalistic travels, sir, just know the distinction between deep respect for the metaphysical and veneration. Praise. Give homage to. What's the difference? Um, respect you're going to need to not get hurt while you're there. You're going to have to tread lightly and be careful where you're going and what you're doing, and you're going to need guidance every step of the way. And uh, whereas paying honor to those this great world there and any detail of that world is forbidden. It's the second What's commandment. What's between respect and honor? Right. That's what we're distinguishing. So respect means to... Uh, Rob Keown, distinction well, between respect and honor. Yeah, I mean, in this case, it's really like showing respect for someone is, you know, taking them seriously, uh, regarding what their worth and what their value is and stuff like that. And this is veneration, especially under as part of that is worshiping them. Or giving them recognition as a source unto yeah. themselves. Okay. You know, we got to respect our parents. Yeah? But they're not really where we're from. I mean, they helped us with the body. But your body's not you. Your soul is you. 
So, like, you got to respect your parents, but you cannot, you, you know, you can thank them for raising you. I guess you can thank them for having you, but, I mean, they were just having a good time. <laughs> so, um, God was behind all that. God's the one who put the actual you in you, which is the soul. Okay, everybody. Um, Shalom. Have a beautiful day. And uh, anyone who wants to keep learning with me can. I'll be going next door to study some Talmud. And I'm happy to teach it while I learn it. Um, but I'm, I'm covering... Uh, right now I'm in the laws of caring in a public domain. And... Um, and uh, I think we're dealing with... Uh, Men carrying implements of war on Shabbat in a public domain at times of peace. <laughs> Rebbe Mayer says it's forbidden. The rabbis say it's forbidden, but you're not you're not chayev if you get busted doing it. And uh, Rebbe Mayer says that weapons of war are like are like jewelry to a man. But they fought back to him and said no, because in the next, in the future, when Mashiach comes, the rabbis say, when Mashiach comes, no, no one will raise up a sword against each other, and they will use their swords for, for. The sharp implements will be used yeah. to create grain and feed people rather than hurt one another. And you want to know something amazing? I never knew. You know what he counters? He says, oh yeah, here's a source that there will still be war. The only place that will have peace will be Israel, and the rest of the world is going to go on fighting each other. No. Yeah, I was shocked. Never heard of that. Never heard of that. But there is, there's two opinions regarding Mashiach times. One is that world peace, which is the one we all like, and the other one is that there will be peace in Israel. And the, all the Jews come home. It says in the Talmud, all the Jews come home. Temples rebuilt. Full deal. You know, like this place is like pure messianic awesome. And all those other nations throughout the world will continue with their mishugas. I don't think they use the word mishugas. But they, uh, the other is that there will be world peace. I like the world peace one. But it's, it's pretty interesting. You guys ever heard that? No. Yeah. I was, it was a first for me. Okay, so anyone wants to join for that? You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.